It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. We all know the feeling that we get when someone else receives the very thing that we desire. Envy is something that just about everyone struggles with at one time or another. It steals our joy and it chips away at our self-confidence and peace, often leaving us feeling guilty. Today's guest, Tilly Dillahay, recounts how she spent many years being resentful of others. She encourages us to stop feeling guilty and to learn how to control unhealthy emotions by understanding what's behind them. Tilly is the author of the book, Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Color Your Joy. Welcome, Tilly. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Tilly, we all experience feelings of envy from one time to another. I remember after my mother passed away and when I would go through Facebook and see pictures of other people's family holidays or Mother's Day barbecues, I just Mm -hmm. remember how horrible Mm -hmm. that was. And I was so envious. I wanted to be those people. So what is your experience with this emotion? Yes, well, envy has interfered seriously with a couple very close relationships in my life. The first story that I tell in the book is about my sisters. I'm one of seven kids, but Mm -hmm. um, there are two girls just below me in the lineup that got into music when I was in college. And I had, I'd had aspirations for being a jazz singer myself, but I'd never really pursued it. And one day they decided to, to pull out these songs that they had been working on and writing in secret and let us hear them, you know, in, in like a coffee shop gig. And it was so painful to hear them having done, just made this beautiful art in, in, without my knowledge, you know, I have it kind of flowered up behind me and um, they, they could continue to pursue that music for years. They got into the, the indie music scene, started a band um, with a couple of guys. And every time I had to go to a concert, I sat there in the dark and it was so painful. I could hardly do it. Mm-hmm. Anytime I got one of their one of their new records, I, I stuck it away in a drawer because um, I didn't want to look at it. And there was a point around the time that we were all getting married that I realized my very close relationship with these girls had been destroyed by my envy because I I had become uh, strangers to them just just because I couldn't handle uh, what they were doing and how beautiful it was. And these were women that you um, loved. Yeah. You know, these were people that you oh, yes. really cared oh, about. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I think I think the. Uh, the worst thing about envy is that it often flowers between peers. So it's, pe- you know, it's your coworker, it's your friend, um, or it's your sister. And um, those are the people that you sometimes measure yourself against. So that is often where envy crops up and it can, it can really ruin a, a good close relationship. Tilly, what made you finally see what was happening between you and your sister's? You know, it was around, I think it was because of the wedding season. We all got married within the same year, um, me and these two girls. And 
something about weddings seems to kind of define relationships. But um, yeah, so it was just it was that season that I suddenly realized, oh my goodness, something is deeply wrong, and and I've got to understand what it is. And um, the diagnosis of envy was not long behind that. And um, you know, I was reading I was reading a lot of things at that time. I I was reading scripture. I was reading C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you're familiar with C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis. But there was an essay by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory that I read around that time. And that essay is not about envy, but it's about um, the personal glories that mankind was made to wear and about the, the glory that will be will be given at the end of time when we stand before the God who made us. And there was something about just that discussion of envy in terms of um, something that human beings can actually possess that clicked for me Um that the things I envy are the glories that I see in other people. So then I started to identify other glories in other people that I also had a hard time with, glories like intelligence, um, charm, uh, physical beauty. And that was the structure of the book kind of came out of that. There there are chapters on each of these glories in the book um, and just a discussion of what they look like. And uh, usually it's when we have a little bit of that glory ourselves that we have a hard time interacting with other people who have more of it, because that's what envy does not like, is um, is inequality. So it really has less to do with the accomplishments of another person and more to do with how you're feeling yeah. about yourself. That is true. Yes. And it's, and it's not, you know, the heart of envy um, is not a heart that can rejoice when it sees a good thing being done by somebody else, because the heart of envy is all about the self and making sure that nobody outdoes you. It's an ugly feeling. It's not something we like to to own up to, I don't think. Tilly, what do you believe happens to us when we're envious of other people? You know, it's it turns you in on yourself in a very unhealthy and painful way because you you have to hide that feeling. It's not something that um, you want to go up to your friend and say, just so you know, I've been resenting you because you were doing better than me. Right. Um, you know, it's it's the envious heart, at least, is not capable of doing that because you want to hide that at all costs. So you you just you become isolated in it, and you become you can if you if you continue to to dwell on that in your heart, you're going to become sicker and sicker with it. So you write that there are seven kinds of envy. Can we just go through these seven very briefly, and maybe just talk about a yeah. trait? that this type of envy mm-hmm. encompasses. So the first one is the envy of the body. What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, the envy of the body is very straightforward. It's just, it's the envy that we experience when we meet someone who is more beautiful, more healthy, maybe more athletically talented. It's it's just the physical characteristics of somebody. And um, I don't know, I think this can follow you throughout your life, depending mm-hmm. on what your personal priorities are. It's usually, I do think it's probably a bigger problem for younger people. But, well, society, the, uh, the societal messages mm-hmm. try to show us what exactly, is beauty. Yeah. And when we don't conform mm-hmm. to that, it naturally yeah. we would be envious of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and such a high importance is placed on it. You know, we, if we swallow that lie about about what is, what is what's defining for us, then beauty is going to become a really big deal. Tilly, yeah. the next one then is mm-hmm. um, envy of charm and influence. What does this mean? Yeah. Yeah, this is just the envy of um, somebody who draws other people in with the magnetism of their personality. Maybe they're very funny or maybe they're very honest. Um, Maybe they're one of these people who just makes you feel seen with their personality. 
um, it can be hard to be, a, especially if this is something you value or that you wish you had or have a little bit of. Um, sometimes it feels like these people, every party is their party. You know, people just are so drawn to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is uh, also straightforward. It's a bigger deal in school for many of us, you know, when grades are given and all that. But but sometimes it follows into adulthood when, you know, we have a job where the intellect matters or where we our peers our peer group is a group where intellect really matters. It, it can be something you really struggle with. Somebody gets A's without effort, basically, in life, and you're struggling mm-hmm. for a B. So then let's talk about the next four. Options, creativity, mm-hmm. competence and control, and relationship. Yeah, so options is the, the envy of money, and uh, that's pretty straightforward. And um, the envy of creativity is powerful. I, I talk about the fact that creatives are storytellers and, um, and that everybody is telling their stories to the best of their ability. And uh, if you meet somebody else who's telling the truth with their stories, you should rejoice to see that they're doing a great job at it because they're they're essentially fighting on the team of truth and beauty. Um, and then the envy of competence and control, that is the envy of somebody who's kind of got it all together, is able to keep their ducks in a row and accomplish a whole lot. And you may be more of a limper, you know, than mm-hmm. than an Olympian. <laughs> and uh, that can be hard just depending on how much you value that. And then the envy of relationship, I think, can be the most painful of all. This is what you were what you were struggling with when you're when you lost your parent. Um, the the beautiful thing that you see when when people are in close relationship, healthy, close relationship with each other. Sometimes it is difficult to behold if you're not a part of it, Um, especially if, you know, say it's a great marriage and your marriage is not everything you'd hoped or um, they're really close with their children and your children are estranged from you. Um, This is a real glory. It's a it's a beautiful thing, but it can be hard to be on the outside of it. What I've learned, Tilly, from everything that I've gone through and, you know, looking at this list, these are things that we believe we want when we see other people Mm -hmm. having them. And I've learned that we're usually envious when we live our life in a place of lack, when we believe that there isn't Mm -hmm. enough for all of us. But when we Mm -hmm. shift and come from a place of abundance where there's more than enough love or money or um, creativity or any of the things we want, that there's more than enough for all of us, that's when mm-hmm. we can release some of these feelings. Do you agree with that? Have you experienced that in your life? Absolutely. And um, and I, you know, being a Christian who believes that this is a God of of abundance, you know, that I'm that I'm worshiping. And for me to behave as if he is withholding something from me just because he's not giving me this particular trait or this particular house or this particular um, family situation is, is me um, doing exactly what you're saying, coming from a place of lack and um, acting as if there's not enough to go around when he's made it perfectly clear that there is plenty to go around. So working with that premise that there's abundance Mm -hmm. and that there's more than enough for all of us, what strategies then can you offer to help people turn the way they're feeling into joy? Yeah, well, I have a chapter that talks just about specific strategies, and I actually talk about virtues to put on as you're putting off the sin of envy. Um, the first of those is is love, putting on love for those that you're envying. And um, some of the ways of doing that is just going through these motions of 
looking at the glory that they're wearing, gazing at it when you've been avoiding that for a long time, praising them to their face and to other people. It's a a great exercise just for kind of getting yourself onto their team, loving them by by praying for them in, in ways that show you're you're really rooting for them. You're praying for their further success when they're already maybe successful. And um, and then another virtue that I talk about is is putting on uh, diligence, going ahead and just realizing that you've been given your own job to do. And um, when you work it with all your might and do your absolute best, it really knocks one of the legs out of envy, out from under it, because because one of the stings in envy is sometimes the knowledge that you could have done the job you were given, but you neglected it and someone else, you know, went ahead and did that thing. So putting on diligence and then um, putting on humility and, and then finally putting on the, um, the virtue of transparency where you become willing to talk openly with, um, depending on the situation, talk openly with uh, the person that you're envying which in the case of my sisters and a couple other close relationships was really the only way that I could restore that relationship with them. I had to be be honest with them about the way that I'd been feeling. What was the result of that conversation? Did they were they aware of your feelings? Yeah. You know, I they never told me whether they had ever used the word envy in their minds to describe it. They knew that something was wrong. Um and I think generally when you've had a close relationship that's been interfered with by envy. They know something's off or something is weird between you, but they may not know what it is. Um, And of course, it's very difficult to have this conversation because you have to admit to them um, that you thought they were better than you and that you uh, were resenting them for it. And that's very hard. But they, in every case that I've ever had this conversation with somebody, they have just met me with the ultimate just graciousness and readiness to um, restore and to forgive. And, um, and I know that, you know, a few times somebody has confessed envy to me and, and I think generally there is a a quick impulse to meet them halfway and to say, I've, you know, I've been there and let's, let's work together to, to be intimate again. When you examined your feelings toward other people, were you always feeling the same type of envy? Was there one area of your life that you wanted to Mm -hmm. work on or was it across the board? Mm -hmm. It was a few specific ones. I think the main ones I've dealt with were the creativity um, with my sisters and and beauty as well with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I had another friend where competence and sort of control of life was was a big one, but and it came between us. And then more recently I've had... um, a charm, a friend there where the charm was the big thing. And, and I had to, I, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be the person that everybody loved best. And, um, and that was not happening. So, yeah, so I guess I've had sort of taken my turns with different ones, but I have, I also have to say that it seems like it depends on where I am in life and what I'm, what I'm valuing uh, more than I should and I may not value beauty the way that I used to when I was a little younger, but mm-hmm. now, um, you know, I'm in a season where maybe friendships are a big thing for me, and and so that that comes to the forefront. So, does that make sense? Oh, it does. It and changes. It yeah. was actually I, I was thinking of a quote I had seen recently where it said, "I'm not busy worrying about the color of your grass because I'm too busy mm-hmm. watering my own." And I think that mm-hmm. it, it just goes mm-hmm. back to. Yeah you know, working on yourself 
it, it mm-hmm. really has less to do yeah. with your sister's accomplishments. It's the fact that you're not achieving what you wanted. It, it's not your sister's issue. Mm-hmm. It was the way you were viewing yourself mm-hmm. at any point in your mm-hmm. life. And that's what we all do. You know, I, the mm-hmm. beauty, I, I look at these models and, and sometimes I allow that to get to me. Or in my work, I might see someone else who I believe is getting so much further ahead than I am. It's taking me longer. It, it's natural. Mm-hmm. Being envious mm-hmm. is a natural emotion. So mm-hmm. how do you recommend we really self-analyze to see what type of envy we're allowing to impact our life? Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy, actually. You just you just look at your life and say, what is it that I'm the proudest of? Or what is it that I want somebody to know about me first? You know, when I meet someone at a party or when I write up my bio or whatever, what is it that I lead with? And that tends to be sort of the thing that you are, um, that's at the forefront of your, your way of defining yourself. Mm-hmm. And then look around and see what do you do when you meet someone who's doing it better? What is it? What do you do when you meet someone who is superior um, in that in that area? And how do you handle that? Because it's going to happen. There's there's always going to be somebody who is um, a little bit better in that area that you value. You've got to learn to handle that graciously. It, it really all comes back to self, because I've met people who have been envious of things that I've done. And, and rather than self-reflect mm-hmm. and to work on themselves, they just try to steal from someone else. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think if you allow envy to govern your life or cloud your judgment, you end up making decisions that you may not have otherwise made. That's right. You do. You definitely do. Um, Some of the the most insane decisions people have made in history were were made over envy. You are you're going to be responsible for your own um, for your own life and for your own heart. And no one no other glory that you encounter um, is going to be able to change how you are feeling about about what you've done. And Tilly, if you um, could sum up everything that you learned from writing this book, what would it be? What would the message be you want our listeners to remember? Well, I would say um, one of the things that I learned is that relationships are worth restoring, um, even through very painful means. And another thing that I've learned, I think, is that it doesn't tend to move backwards in your heart. It tends to move forwards and to get worse if it's not dealt with. Um, so if you're, if there's something that you are thinking that is so very wrong um, and just incorrect, it, if you don't address it, I don't think that the mind is going to just suddenly start speaking truth to itself without addressing it with real truth. The book is Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Color Your Joy. If you would like to get more information about Tilly, you can visit the website justinandtilly.com. Tilly, in our final moments, what is the takeaway? Takeaway is <laughs> don't don't envy your, your fellow man. <laughs> it, is, it is a much better way to live, to learn to feel actual joy when you see other people succeeding especially the people who are closest to you. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more because that has been a a very important and hard-learned lesson for me to 
really worry about myself and and do the best that I can and not focus on other people's accomplishments to support them, to share their joy, to encourage them, Mm -hmm. but not make myself feel less than because I'm not achieving it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Tilly, thank you so much for joining us today. When we can stop seeing green, as you say, we can stop letting that envy color our joy, and we can live a much more happy, productive life. So thank you for sharing this with us. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue-earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. Soul by Rain is produced from various seed flowers. Its primary ingredients hail from the black cumin seed and the black raspberry seed. These two combine to provide a powerful antioxidant barrier against the devastating effects of stress. Soul by Rain has been hailed as one of the most important anti-aging antioxidants ever discovered. Soul is an anti-inflammatory and it helps prevent and repair radical damages for a healthier heart. Get your soul by calling your rain partner, Elmina Ziza, at 973 Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today to talk about ways to beat the dreaded ailments of winter is Dr. Victoria Dooley. Dr. Dooley is a family medicine expert, physician, TV personality, and Huffington Post blogger. Welcome, Dr. Dooley. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Doctor, it's that time of year again. The days are shorter, it's getting colder, and there are thousands of germs that are waiting to settle into our weakened immune systems. Between the change of seasons, holiday stressing, and that nip in the air, it seems like it's a challenge to keep from getting sick. Why do people tend to get sick more often this time of year? You're absolutely correct. Um, You just hit uh, some of the factors 
Um, you're not eating as healthy during this time of the year. You're not getting enough sleep. You have a ton of stress because of the holidays, and all of those things can weaken your immune system and make you more prone to getting illnesses. Um, so. I do recommend still that you practice good hand hygiene, that you exercise regularly, that you try to eat a balanced diet, and that you get enough sleep. All these things are going to help keep your uh, immune system strong. But no matter what we do, because of the cold weather, uh, holiday travel, um, our coworkers coming to work sick, it is inevitable that some of us will still get sick, unfortunately. Doctor, what are the most common season sicknesses? And what, in addition to what you just suggested, can we do to prevent them? Well, I think most of us are familiar with the cough, cold, and the flu. And I absolutely would recommend talking to your doctor about both the flu and pneumonia vaccines and getting those if they think that you're eligible. Um, and even though we know we should be eating healthy and exercising during this cold weather and the holiday season, a lot of us don't. And so you may want to ask your doctor if they think you would benefit from any supplements like a multivitamin, vitamin D or calcium. And for joint health specifically, which is some, such a common complaint I hear about with these weather changes and the rain, I recommend asking about Tamiflex. Tamiflex is a potent botanical blend proven effective at promoting joint health. It is made from two natural herbal botanicals, both turmeric and tamarind seeds. It is non-GMO, and it contains absolutely no artificial colors or flavoring. Um, but also during this holiday time, we're going to be more likely to partake in some unhealthy eating, low-fiber diet, maybe indulging in a little bit too much alcohol. This, combined with the stress of the holidays, can lead to GI issues like constipation and straining. And this can trigger flares of hemorrhoids. And hemorrhoids are extremely common. 75% um, of Americans will experience the hemorrhoids at some point in their lives. So I recommend keeping Preparation H at home. So if we do get sick, what are some things that you advise that can help us get better faster? Well, you, wanna, you do want to eat. You want to eat healthy. Um, you don't want to eat a whole bunch of junk food. You wouldn't want to uh, try to finish off your Halloween candy if you're feeling <laughs> sick. Um, it's good to stay home and not go to work and get other uh, coworkers sick and possibly get yourself reinfected with a different virus than somebody at work has. Um, and exercise really is is important um, to promote a strong immune system, absolutely. So this time of year, and I know that this affects me, with less sunlight and spending less time outdoors, people tend to experience more sadness, and, and that's actually yes. a condition this time of year. So what can we do to alleviate those feelings? You're, you're absolutely correct. It, it is unfortunate where people live in places like me in Michigan um, that during this time of the year where you're getting less sunlight, you're going to work and it's dark. You come home from work and it's dark. You get a little bit of the winter blues. Um, there, it, that's called seasonal affective disorder. And there is a seasonal affective disorder or SAD, S-A-D, light that you can purchase, that you can keep at your desk or use first thing in the morning when you're getting ready that may help eliminate some of those symptoms if they're directly related to the decreased sunlight that you're getting. Doctor, could it help to even just sit, if, if you're at your desk in your office or, or at home, to just sit by a window where there's sunlight? Does that help at all? 
Absolutely. If that's a possibility, if you're not stuck in a cubby where you can't move, and if you know when you leave work it's going to be dark, if you can take a health break and get close to the sun, that would absolutely be a good idea. So if you could sum this all up, generally speaking, what should we be doing on a daily basis to maintain optimal health? On a daily basis, you should be managing your stress. So stress is a huge contributor to so much of illness. And no matter what it is that you do to manage your stress, as long as it's not smoking or something else that's going to cause health problems, you should do it, whether it be meditation, yoga, dance, whatever it is that you like to do to decrease stress, um, you need to do that because it is all this holiday stress um, that really weakens our immune system and, and promotes us getting sick. Dr. Julie, thank you so much for being here with us. If our listeners would like to get more information about Dr. Dooley and her work, you can visit drdooleymd.com. That's D-R-D-O-O-L-E-Y-M-D.com. Dr. Dooley, thank you so much for being here with us and for providing tips that can help us get through the winter. As you said, this can be a very stressful time of year, but if we follow your advice, uh, we can make it a pleasant one. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. This is Jewel and Kelly Pickler. Too many women are losing their lives to lung cancer. It's the number one cancer killer of women in our country, and we'll need a force to defeat it. So we've joined the American Lung Association's Lung Force because it's going to take all of our collective strength to fight for better early detection and more treatments and to create new hope. Join the Lung Force and help save women's lives. Fight lung cancer in women at lungforce.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. What do we really know about planning for and achieving success? According to our next guest, Albert Laszlo Barabashi, success is not a direct result of our achievements, but instead an indirect reaction to how those achievements are perceived and valued by those around us. He's here today to discuss the formula for success. Professor Barabashi is a physicist at Northeastern University. He holds appointments in the Department of Medicine at Harvard Medical School and the Central European University in Budapest. He is the author of The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success. Welcome, Professor Barashi. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Professor, we're taught that if we work hard, success will follow. But that's not always the case. Why do some people get ahead and not others? That's a wonderful question, and that's really what the formula is about. And, and as you said in your introduction, really, what we need to understand is that our performance is about us, but our success 
is about the people around us. That is really success is a reflection, the community's reflection of what we do and how well we do that. Now, I was grazed with the idea that if I have performance, I will have success. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly true if your performance is measurable. The better runner you are, the more successful you will actually be as a runner. But most of us work in areas where performance is not so accurately measurable. You know, you have been a successful businesswoman, I've mm-hmm. been a scientist, and so on. These are areas where it's hard to really distinguish people how good they are at what they do. And that's where the formula comes into play, is that what happens when we are not able to see very precisely what your performance is, and what happens when there are 10 people who are indistinguishable from you? How do we choose the winner? So you write about five laws that offer a new understanding of how success and performance are related. What are these five laws? And please just give us a a brief explanation of each. Sure. Uh, the, The first law is really about how performance drives success when performance is measurable. And that's the example of the runner. The faster you run, the more successful you are. But, and here comes the second part of the first law, when performance is not measurable accurately, then networks drive success. And we just had a fabulous uh, paper this week coming out about the artwork where we show that because it's impossible to really distinguish your glass of water from an artwork, depending on where you sit in a museum or you're on your desk, it has a different meaning. Therefore, performance is not measurable in art. And then we unveil the hidden networks that really propel an artist to success. So really, when you cannot measure performance, then other factors come in like networks that determine your success. Mm-hmm. Then we come to the second law, which says performance is bounded, but success is unbounded. What does that mean? It means that even if you are very, very good at something, that you, there are many others who are just as good as you are. That means performance is bounded. Even Usain Bolt is not running 10 times faster than I do, and he, he beats his competition only with 1% performance, right? He runs only 1% faster, yet he's the best-known runner out there. So that's what means that you know, no matter what we do, really our performance is bounded. There are many people like us who can do just as well, but success is unbounded. That The reward that we can get for being better than others could be orders of magnitude bigger. And, and so now the third look says, how do you get an unlimited success from a, per, uh, from a bounded for really small differences in performance? And, and that's how I explain how success leads to success. That is, and I also give the mechanism in the book, in the formula, about how you jumpstart that success brings success phenomenon. And that's very important for us to understand that, that success doesn't necessarily come by itself in many, many cases. We need to jumpstart it. If you are on Kickstarter, you often have to give yourself the first donation. You have to get the first award in whatever area areas you are so that you become awardable. And, and there are many other mechanisms how you can jumpstart success. And then that kind of leads effectively to the fourth law. The fourth law is about how do we work in teams, because we do work in teams, and how you put together the right team. And most important, if you are a team player, how do you credit? How do you get credit for what you have done? That how do people perceive once the job is done that you really had a key play uh, to play in that particular achievement, and and finally the last law is about when success emerges, 
And this is kind of my personal favorite because there has been lots of perception about the fact that success is really a game of the young individuals. Only young people can be creative. And what we learn by analyzing millions of scientific and artistic careers is that is really a misconception and it's really productivity that goes down with age and not innovation. And as long as you keep with it and you keep trying that you are persistent, success can come at any stage of your career. The book is The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success. If you would like to get more information, you can visit formula.barabashi.com. Professor, in our final moments, how can we use this information to enhance our lives? Oh, that's really the purpose of the formula. I'm giving very specific stories about depending on what stage of your life you are in and what stage of your career, how you use it. And there's none, not one size fits all. You would use a different pattern that I describe in the book if you are working in a team or if you are a creator that are working individually or if you are trying to build a business from scratch. So the idea of the formula is that not one formula, but there are many formulas that you can actually apply to many different life situations. Professor, thank you so much for joining us once again. The book is The Formula, The Universal Laws of Success. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that thinking can be our best friend or our greatest enemy? Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex and confusing healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals that want to improve their health and well-being. Oftentimes, we are not very aware of our thoughts, and we don't give much attention to them. They are somewhat on an unconscious level. When we are unconscious of the content of our thoughts, they are more more likely to control us. Observing them objectively develops self-awareness and strengthens your ability to take charge. Being mindful of our thinking enables us to make positive choices for personal well-being. The first step is to be aware of our thoughts and that there is a choice to stop and change a negative thought to a positive thought. The more we become identified with our thoughts, especially our negative thoughts, the more we lose our center and our intuitive mind, that wise, spacious presence that allows for surprising discovery. Mindfulness helps quiet the mind and awaken the intuitive mind. Meditation is not the only mindfulness practice. Walking, doing the dishes, painting, petting your dog or cat are other possibilities for mindfulness. Wellness means attuning ourselves to the life-giving or death-dealing energy of our thoughts. Wellness requires conscious selectivity in choosing those thoughts. If we feed our mind encouragement, beautiful images, and positive input, we will enjoy a high level of wellness. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Are you creating an environment for maximum academic accomplishment in your home? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, master educator, performance coach, and founder of Brainstorm Tutoring and Arts, an elite network of professional academic mentors and test prep coaches. My client families often ask me how to best improve the study environment in their homes. And today I want to share with you three tried and true best practices to set yourselves up for success. Number one, create an area of the home that will be a consistent study area. Don't allow your child to do work on his bed, hanging out in his bedroom, in front of a television screen, and it changes day to day with multiple distractions. Instead, find one spot in the house and say, this is set aside as a sacred space for studying and for work. 
Number two, realize that a major source of distraction are sounds. So find that space in that home to set aside for this work and make sure it is silent or set up opportunities to listen to music with no lyrics, such as a deep focus playlist off of Spotify or a binaural beats music playlist off of YouTube. And number three, no screens. The number one distraction for students these days is cell phones and TV screens. Make sure that they are out of that space. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to connect with me or learn more about Brainstorm, feel free to check out stormthetest.com. We live in a world where everybody wants to get it right. We're trying to get our jobs right, our lives right, relationships. As parents, we try to raise good kids and make sure that they can have a life that's right. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. Quality for Life Coaching is my practice, and I see so many clients talk about this. The most important thing that you can contribute to anyone, whether it's a sibling or a parent or a child or at work, colleague, self-esteem. People need self-esteem, and that comes from the inside out. So they need to feel good about themselves for them to ever reach their potential and have a great life. So I would offer this as a takeaway for parents, and then you can apply it to any relationship, which is unconditionally appreciate someone. And that is how they get self-esteem from the inside out. You notice someone for doing nothing just because they're there. So if you walk by someone and say, I'm just glad you're there. I'm just glad you're my son. I'm just glad that I'm visiting you mom and dad I love being here with you if you notice people just because you walk by them and say I love your energy in this house with me they feel they've been witnessed and appreciated for just existing and that is something that's a gift that you can give and change someone else's life I'm Lindsay Levinson qualityforlifecoaching.com look me up Do you have a vibrant, conversational community on your Facebook page, but your number of actual followers is low? There's an easy way you can invite people who engage with your content to like your page, too. Hi, I'm Patricia Singer of Follow Me Social Media Consulting. We work with small, mid-sized businesses to help them with their presence on the various social media platforms. When you use the Page Manager app on your smartphone, you can click and see everyone who has liked or reacted to your post. This is what you need to do. Go to a post where you have received a lot of reactions. Those are the different emoticons that you can click to like or love a post. Click on the reactions you received. This will open up the comments section. Next, click on the reactions. The list of people who reacted to your post will appear. Next to their name, you will see an invite button. You can click that button and the invitation to like your page will be sent to them. If the button is grayed out, it should say liked, which means that they already follow your page. This is a quick and easy way to grow your following without having to pay for Facebook ads. If you would like more information, go to besttofollowme.com. We all want to 
live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified intuitive life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life's challenges and transitions with clarity and confidence to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss how to stop saying yes when you really mean no. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's great to be back. Okay, Linda. So this is such a common problem. We can all relate to the situation where at one time or another, we find ourselves saying yes when we really want to say no. But when it becomes a habit, that's when it becomes a problem. Why do you think this is the case? Exactly. Well, Joan, we may have difficulty saying no because we fear being criticized, rejected, or have people be angry with us. What's really behind this is either fear of conflict or we just say yes out of a sense of duty, guilt, or obligation. Maybe it's the belief that saying no is somehow wrong or impolite. Sometimes it's simply because we're just so used to always putting others' needs before our own. If it only happens once in a while, it may not be great, but it's kind of normal. When it becomes a habit and when we find ourselves overwhelmed with projects or commitments we really don't want to participate in and we find we're always putting ourselves last, then it's a problem. We become people pleasers who are more concerned about what's good for others rather than honoring what's good and right for ourselves. It is, of course, important to consider other people's feelings, but constant people pleasing leads to self-neglect and resentment. Saying yes as a knee-jerk reaction when you really want to say no leads to feeling overwhelmed because when you don't set limits, you end up signing on for more than you can realistically do. And sometimes you're even enabling others and doing for them what they can actually do for themselves. Then you end up with this huge to-do list and feeling stressed out, depleted, and undervalued, all because you don't want to let others down or you don't think it's right or polite to say no. So Linda, what can we do to break this habit? Good question. Well, getting out of any habit requires looking at what created the habit to begin with. Recall some of the situations where you did say yes when you really wanted to say no. If you determine you only said yes out of a desire to be a good person or to avoid feeling guilty, then I encourage you to examine that guilt. Guilt is the feeling that you're doing something wrong. And right, and really, is it wrong to act according to what's in your own best interest? You're right to honor your own needs by declining certain invitations or expectations if it's really not in alignment with your greater good. And here's the key. We must set healthy boundaries to ensure we're taking care of our own needs. Saying no to someone else can mean you're saying yes to yourself, your family, your goals, and your overall health and wellness. So, you know what? Saying no does not make you mean, selfish, or uncaring. Rather, it protects your physical, mental, and emotional health because you'll be more rested and your mood will be better. By the way, saying no may free up some free time for some much-needed self-care. It's easier to say no when you're at your best physically and emotionally. So really, it comes down to being able to discern what works for you, your family, and your bigger vision. This usually means getting clear on and setting some limits. Healthy boundaries mean you only give what, when, and to whom you want. And this translates to being generous to more of the right people over a longer period of time because you have more energy when you say yes to only the right things. There's a saying I remind myself of often. Givers need to set limits because takers never do. We have both a right 
and a duty to protect ourselves with healthy boundaries. You'll feel more empowered, have more energy, and protect your health. So Linda, now that we have an understanding about why we do this and we see the benefits of setting boundaries, give us a few examples of how we can say no politely. Yeah, sure. So there's a few quick ways I teach in my workshops and my coaching practice. Here are some quick takeaways. Before saying yes, if you're not sure or you already know you don't want to say yes, you can squash that impulse to say yes just out of habit by saying something like, hmm, that's interesting. Let me think about that. Or let me sleep on it. Or I'll get back to you on that. This way, you don't have to give an answer right on the spot. Give yourself some space so you can think about it, discern if it fits into your schedule, your overall personal vision, or your business model, and you can take the pressure off yourself to say yes, even if in that moment you haven't thought through how to say no. Another way is to have a memorized phrase or mantra ready that works for you that you can use in situations or with people who always expect you to say yes or want an immediate answer. It can sound something like this. I'd love to help you with that, but this sounds important to you. And right now my plate is really full. It wouldn't be fair to you if I said yes, because I know I don't have adequate time to devote to your project right now. But if anything changes, I'll be sure to let you know. You know, practice what works for you because any version that feels good and right will work. If you would like to learn more about Linda and her work, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. Imagine running your own business that generates seven figures in revenue. If this sounds like something you'd like to achieve, then join me on Wednesday, December 12th for a special Conversations with Joan event, Building a Million Dollar Business. My guest will be Elaine Pofelt, a writer for Forbes.com. Elaine will explain how to identify, launch, and grow a high-revenue earning business. She'll discuss why this is a good time to start a business, the challenges entrepreneurs face, the top categories for earning seven figures, and how to get on track to achieve high earnings. The event will be held at the Raphael Center in Clifton, New Jersey. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash conversations. I hope to see you there. Let's start talking. Life's lessons come in all shapes and sizes. Appreciate the little things in life and enjoy them. This is Jackie Atchison, certified divorce coach and founder at Better Path to Divorce. After an extremely difficult first marriage, I remarried and obtained sheer bliss. However, life had other plans for me and my own financial crisis occurred. No more vacations, theater, concerts, dining out, personal trainer, etc. I kept asking myself, why? After I stopped feeling sorry for myself, I put on my thinking cap and rearranged our entire budget. I made many changes to make me feel whole and stable again. I watched for sales at the grocery store and started cooking. We invited friends over for dinners and had small house parties. For the holidays with family, I suggested regifting. How easy is it to purchase something somebody wants, but ooh, to take a possession that is near and dear to you and give it to someone you love. That ended up becoming more loving and powerful for each giver. Those feelings inside, money could never buy. It took about four years to feel financially whole again. The changes made during the hard times have stayed with me. My why now became very clear. Appreciate the little things in life and enjoy them. Together, we can do this. To learn more about me and divorce coaching, visit me at betterpathtodivorce.com.
I want to be riding my bike. But at this moment, he's fighting leukemia. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital is saving lives with pioneering research and care. And we'll never have to pay St. Jude for anything. Please take a moment and visit stjude.org today. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.